Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Village Global's Venture Stories. I'm here today joined by a very special guest, Curran Wadera. Curran, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me. So, Curran, you're, you're the managing partner of Casa Verde Capital. When do you get into what is Casa Verde Capital and what's the story behind it? Yeah, so Casa Verde is a venture fund that is exclusively focused on the cannabis industry. Um, you know, we have a thesis that cannabis is going to be and is one of the most exciting sort of investment themes uh, of our generation. And we are fully focused on investing in businesses in and around the industry. We closed our, our first fund in, in, in January 2018 um, and have been incredibly active ever since. We've invested in over 20 companies, you know, between ourselves and, and our, our vehicles. We've put, you know, well over $150 million to work with, with, with co-investors and have looked at all sorts of really dynamic opportunities in the cannabis industry. You know, we're probably most well known for some of the ancillary opportunities, what's known as sort of non-plant touching businesses that support the ecosystem, but aren't necessarily involved in cultivation, manufacturing, distribution, or retail. But now we, we are a little more broad in, in, our, uh, in, our, in our spectrum and, and can sort of invest in, in anything in and around the space. I, I want to get into, you know, sort of market map of the space today and how you think about the different sort of subsectors within it. But before that, why don't you trace the evolution a little bit of how the space has evolved? Like, what was it like to invest in the space a decade ago? Or, or was it even, you know, when did it sort of start? Or how would you sort of characterize like the different waves or phases of, of this industry? Yeah, no. And, and we've thought about that a lot because I think the space has gone through a lot of transition and um, development over the past couple decades. So I'd say, you know, everything pre 2000 let's even call it pre-2014, um, was in this, this kind of vague realm of medical cannabis. And in some states, that was very clear. In other states, it was very, you know, it was very much open to interpretation. So for example, California, you know, where, where I'm sitting for, for most of the past couple decades was a medical state. But it was not very difficult to get a uh, medical card to be able to purchase cannabis and therefore it was kind of open season. You know, we would get on a, you could get on a, a zoom or a conference call like this and get your, get your uh, prescription that quickly. Uh, and then you'd be uh, on your way to, um, you know, any one of many dispensaries and you could purchase all sorts of products. So that, you know, was sort of the first phase of investing. It was very much under the radar not a lot of taxes was paid. Um, you know, pricing was all over the place, heavily a cash, cash business. And then, you know, as we saw Colorado come online in the U.S. as the first fully rec state, I think that would become the first phase of, of maybe what you would call sort of 2.0 in the industry, um, which is, you know, and the big difference being there was now a very heavy regulatory compliance layer on the industry and you had to sort of, you know, really follow the rules quite strictly if you wanted to survive and pay taxes and, and, and sort of, uh, you know, be, be subject to now all this new regulation. And then I would say there's another phase of all of that that's really been in the last, call it, you know, two or three years when there's been a real shift in maturity 
And that came with, you know, not only California coming online as a fully recreational state, but, you know, another nine states, Canada going fully legal from a um, federal perspective, the first G7 nation to do so. And then now this has very much become a, a pretty compelling global story. So, you know, you can look at it in those sort of waves. And the, the way I would distinguish between them is that that first wave, you know, really had no institutional capital. It was very much, you know, either bootstrapping or, you know, some family and friends putting money into entities, which were, again, you know, let's just call it in some sort of gray zone of legality. In that second phase, you saw a little more institutionalization, you know, certainly with, you know, you, people putting together more sort of formal organizations, seeing legalization ahead and the path of what cannabis is. And then today, you know, when you have bankers involved, you know, full-scale public companies listed in Canada, some companies listed here in the U.S., global opportunities, institutional funds like ours playing a heavy role in the space, but also more traditional venture funds as well, um, investing in in and around cannabis. So, yeah, I, you know, I've never actually done that before in any formal way, but as I sort of spell it out, I would think about it in those kind of three distinct phases. And with each of them has just come more and more sophistication. Totally. Now, how would you sort of make a market map of where you like to consider investments at either sort of you can as proper and then sort of adjacent spaces? Why don't you sort of think, uh, just sort of walk us through a little bit what are the you know potential uh, sort of sub subsectors? Yeah. So basically, for us in in sort of our investable universe and where we put a lot of attention, you know, we we like to simplify it in saying that we want to invest in you know great scalable businesses that are being run by fantastic entrepreneurs and. You know, initially, as I mentioned earlier, that focus was a lot on technology and services and ancillary businesses that support the industry at large, because we felt those were the you know least capital intensive and had the most ability to scale and touch the larger industry. So I, I think that's where we put uh, a lot of our attention. And there's a number of companies, and maybe I'll just give you a, a few examples to give you a, a taste and flavor of, of the kind of things that we invested in there. You know, we were early investors into a business called Greenbits, which is one of the leading point of sales in the industry. Um, so you could think about it like a square at uh, you know your local coffee shop. Dispensaries have their own point of sales, particularly because of the reporting that's, that needs to be done from a compliance perspective um, back into the state government. You know, we're in early investors in a business called uh, Dutchy. Dutchy is one of the leading sort of e-commerce players in cannabis. It really enables those same dispensaries to launch uh, delivery and pickup. Dutchy has proved to be an invaluable service during COVID. They saw, you know, their their gross merchandise value on their platform go from a few hundred million dollars annualized to $2.3 billion annualized in just a few months. Uh, and that prompted uh, a Series B that just got completed, which Howard Schultz and, and Thrive Capital just led. And then, you know, we also see other unique areas like financial services, right? Given cannabis has this, you know, federally illegal status, but then has, you know, different legalities from a from a state by state level here in the U.S., there's a huge gap in the sort of traditional services that a a cannabis business can access versus a more traditional business. So what we're starting to see is, you know, businesses being built to help bridge that gap and start to create layers that, that don't exist. So bespoke, you know, offers short-term financing, inventory financing, invoice factoring, these kind of services to dispensaries and 
uh, any cannabis business actually, um, you know, who need working capital to, to, to sort of fuel the lifeblood obviously of their, of their operation. So it's all these kind of interesting businesses that can help the industry in some fashion, either, you know, automate some reporting, you know, you know, be helpful from a working capital financial perspective, or, you know, really push commerce forward. And there's, we've invested in 20 plus companies. So there's a lot of those as well. And then, you know, what we consider, you know, plant touching, you know, we, we definitely have a huge interest in what will become the important critical brands in the future, consumer facing brands, right? So, you know, if you think about it, like your Coca-Cola, Budweiser's or Marlboro's, you know, these are brands that have been built over decades uh, and have developed a lot of consumer trust and have just become staples in many ways. Cannabis doesn't really have that yet just because we're in such early parts of maturity. So, you know, we see that as a huge, huge growth opportunity. It's going to come with a lot of struggles and, and ups and downs, but it's something that we have a, a, a huge amount of faith in and it's something that we're starting to spend more time on as well. Our latest investment is, is a little bit of an offshoot of that. We led a nine and a half million dollar round into a business called Proper, um, which is a holistic sleep solution business in which CBD will be one component of the formulation. And that is a really good example of how we're starting to shift our thinking about the space at large, because, you know, in the past, that may not have been, may not have seemed like an investment that would have been, you know, up our alley, but, you know, we see cannabis in some formats as, you know, just another ingredient that, you know, sort of helps a larger solution to, you know, the many issues it can, it can tackle and sleep being one of, you know, one of the most prevalent reasons that, that there is cannabis use among consumers. And, and CBD being, um, you know, more readily available and nationally distributed. So we, uh, yeah, we're super excited. It's a deal we did um, in partnership with a group called Redesign Health, which has been behind a lot of really exciting direct-to-consumer healthcare businesses. And so, yeah, so probably gave you a little more in, in information than than you asked for. But we're, you know, we're, we want to we want to invest in in great businesses that can scale. Ancillary makes a lot of sense to us, and then you know, brands obviously have a lot of those same qualities that that we really appreciate. How have you thought about the delivery, uh, the delivery space? So, so companies like Ease or, or, or Meadow, or how, how have you sort of viewed that 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 sector? Do you have any, any bets in there? Where, where do you think is going to be, uh, you know, make a winner there? Yeah, we were early investors in Ease, um, and then Dutchy, which which I mentioned to you, it's a little bit different, but but also sort of enables retailers to to have delivery and e-commerce themselves. I think it's it's a no brainer that this will continue to be a very important part of the cannabis ecosystem. And that, it, that has nothing to do with cannabis, right? Meaning, you know, delivery is just now how we interact from a, from a commerce perspective in general, whether it's our groceries or, you know, our dinner and, and cannabis is no different. Um, so yeah, we're, we're definitely um, big proponents there. We think it's going to be very important and we think there's going to be probably multiple winners and multiple players like you've seen in, in other spaces like, like food or, or, uh, you know, even in, in alcohol delivery and things like that. So yeah, no, we're, we're bullish on that space and, and think there's a lot of opportunity. Yeah. What are sort of the big, uh, big questions in the space about how the space will evolve? I imagine a lot of them are, are regulatory, but what do you think are sort of the big forks in the road of within the industry and, and uh, that will affect how the industry evolves. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a big one, right? Because the regulatory shift enables a lot of additional services and resources to come to cannabis in many, many facets. Right. And a lot of those are investable. And a lot of those are, you know, medical. And some of those are just social justice, right. And, and, and kind of doing what's right. So I think what you'll see is, 
a number of regulatory changes that will come in the course of the next few years in waves. So the exact order of all of how all that unfolds is unclear. Um, and if I knew, you know, I would, I would be able to predict lots of other things, but I think, you know, what certainly you can see is, you know, decriminalization at a federal level is certainly imminent. There's a vote on that actually this month in, in the house. Um, it's unlikely to pass the Senate or go any further, but it is, you know, the right sentiment and kind of shows where the, the temperature is um, in the country. I think the most necessary change in the interim will be um, rescheduling cannabis. Cannabis is, is still a schedule one narcotic, which puts it in the same breath as heroin, which is just absurd. Um, so the minute that changes, cannabis can have a, a different status. You can get federal funding for research. Um, we may even then see some sort of banking services open up. There's a couple of specific acts which are in front of Congress, which I think will also come to fruition in, in, in years ahead. One of the ones that um, you know, people are very excited about is, is something known as safe banking which would allow the federal banking infrastructure to be a uh, part of the cannabis industry in states where there is a, a legal infrastructure. So I think you'll start to see all these things play out over time. And, and I think the question just becomes on, on timing. So regulatory is definitely probably one of the biggest, but one of the other things that happens when you start to see those things shift is you'll see more money come into the space, right? So, you know, we've been, early in that journey as, you know, one of the, the early kind of institutional type funds focusing on the space. But with that, you know, we've, we've worked and helped to, to bring in a lot more of that uh, more traditional capital into the space, right. And done deals with Tiger Global and Thrive and, you know, even conglomerates like Imperial Tobacco. We think that the shifts in regulation also start bringing in a lot more capital. And, you know, that means more, institutionalization that means more professionalism sophistication you just start to see sort of you know cannabis continue up that curve and within cannabis how much of it is sort of concentrated among of people who are actually supplying the stuff how much is concentrated among sort of major players versus this long tail like is there a shopify for you know like what is sort of the the breakdown yeah it depends where you're looking. So like in certain areas, there's a lot more concentration. Um, so for in ex- for example, you know, we're, we're investors in LeafLink. They're by far the, the dominant kind of wholesale online marketplace, um, you know, for folks like Dutchie and e-commerce, green bits and point of sale. On the ancillary side, I think there, there has been some, some growth and in, in, in dominance there um, and building market share. In the more traditional sectors like cultivation, manufacturing, retail, no, there's no real dominance. You may see it on a state by state basis, especially in what we call limited license markets, where the government has actually, you know, by definition, limited the number of licenses there. And there may be a few players who have a good bulk of them or or own a good chunk of that state. But on a, yeah, national or global level, yeah, there's no one who has any significant market share at all. There's a massive long tail. Yeah. When we look back, you probably mentioned some of them already, but when we look back at the last you know, six years, eight to 10 years at the companies that have sort of really defined the space that sort of showed opening in, in certain subsectors or, or just sort of changed the game, like equivalent in e-commerce would be, you know, Amazon, Shopify, and, yeah. and a couple others. What are the companies that, that come to mind here? Without being biased and talking about the names we've, we've invested in, right? Like, but, you know, one of our, our largest investments in a company that's just so central to cannabis in, in the U.S. is a business called Metric. And Metric is the compliance platform that the states actually use 
to monitor and track the cannabis industry. So, you know, their clients are the state of California, Colorado, Massachusetts, Nevada, Oregon, the majority of sort of large recreational states. And so that has been really critical because, again, it's helped in the in, in sort of the, the graduation of cannabis from an illegal black market business into a more regulated uh, industry. So I think metric is certainly one of them. On the larger scale, I'd say some of the pioneers in Canada, even though they've, they've had a lot of issues and, and there's been ups and downs in their stock prices and things like that, were hugely influential, right? You know, when Canada legalized cannabis at the federal level, it did allow that kind of inflection point that I was mentioning in, in your last question of, of more institutional capital to come into the industries, create a public capital markets, right? So you had companies like Canopy and Kronos attract investment in the billions of dollars from the likes of Constellation Brands and, and Altria. That's pretty unique and, and pretty differentiated and, and allowed for some you know, really compelling changes. And I think that started a wave of even U.S. companies being able to list through reverse takeover in you know, secondary markets in Canada, like the Canadian Stock Exchange. And I think all of that was hugely influential in, in starting to, to create a more liquid asset class for something that had been you know, fairly private. So <laughs> while I'm not necessarily a complete proponent of that, and you know, I think the best opportunities are, are, are by far are in the private markets versus some of these public opportunities, it definitely was a, a big momentous change when, when those things started happening in cannabis. Yeah. I'm curious where you see the, the white space going forward in terms of, do you have a request for startups in terms of if you, if you were giving this talk in front of a hundred entrepreneurs who wanted to do something in the cannabis space and yeah. they're sort of trying to pick the right idea or the right subsector or the right sort of problem to go tackle, where might you encourage them to go, to go look? Yeah, we think there's still a ton of opportunities. You know, we're sitting on lots of really compelling data among a lot of great businesses. I don't think there's necessarily yet been, um, you know, a, a complete winner on that end of, of what we can do in businesses we can create. There are definitely some great companies out there that exist, but I still think there's a lot of room for growth. Um, compliance continues to be, you know, a huge issue and bottleneck for a lot of businesses. So people who can help you know, simplify that for, for, for folks in the industry, I think is still a, a huge opportunity. You know, we're very interested in the sort of financial technologies that can, that can be, um, and, and, you know, with, with, with financial services and financial technologies for cannabis, you know, we have this really interesting opportunity, which I think people sometimes forget. It's not about just saying, oh, bridge this gap. And then once we have full-scale legalization, all these other players will come in and, and do your job. I don't think that's how it's going to work. I mean, I think my view is because we're starting from scratch in many instances, we can actually create better platforms. In many ways, cannabis is way more tech forward than any other industry because we, we've been only really been building in, in the last call it, you know, decade in, in certain ways. So we've had the ability to utilize technology in a way that industries that, that have been around longer, it's more disruptive, right? To include a new compliance system or bring forward a new point of sale or, you know, have all these regular, we're built on all this regulation. So we almost have to be more tech forward just to, just to survive. So I think um, in that way, I think what we can do now and the services we can build, um, even from a financial perspective, will remain and probably be like very attractive acquisition targets in the future as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm big on, 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 on the fintech space as well, and we're, we're doing a, a ton of work there. But yeah, those are the few areas that we think are really interesting. And then, as I mentioned before, you know, consumer-facing brands, you know, none of these dominant players exist yet. And there's a good chance that 
you know, the, what would, will eventually become, you know, one of the leaders in some of the subcategories for cannabis don't even exist. So, you know, we still see a ton of white space in that area as well. Is there yet a sort of Yelp for all the distributors out there or, or sort of a, a rating system for? <laughs> uh, kind of, there's a few. So, so LeafLink, um, which is a wholesale marketplace, that's where like, um, you know, they have pretty significant market share in the States where they're active. And so retailers would go on there and be able to look at all the various brands that are there. There are some like recommendation businesses like, like um, Leafly, also a very similar name, which, which does some of that. And there are others that, that have been launching as well. So yeah, there are some of those that are there. I think to your point, like, you know, that is the one intimidating part about the industry, right? For, especially for non-consumers is okay. Cannabis is really interesting. It's legal now, you know, maybe there's a product for me. What is that product? And what does it look like? And do I smoke it? Do I eat it? Do I drink it? Is it a tincture? Is it a topical? Like there's a lot of unknown. So yeah, we, you know, education is a big part of it right now. The main source of, of kind of, um, that recommendation engine is, is what we call the bud tenders, right? The actual like clerk in these, uh, in these, uh, dispensaries, they, they, they hold a, a fair amount of power because, you know, you go in there and ask them something they're going to tell you. And unless you know, which you probably don't like, you're going to listen to their, their recommendation. But I think like we see in any industry over time, the consumer will have a lot more of that power. They'll take a lot of that education and discovery into their own hands and, and um, you know, there will be resources outside of just that retail environment, which can assist them. Are you bullish on CBD uh, or are there like big businesses in, that are sort of leveraging that or creating products around that? I think, you know, like everything, there are, there are like phases. So yes, like I have a big belief in, you know, CBD's ability um, to be really effective for various conditions. I don't think it's this cure all you just throw into anything and, here's my soda with CBD, here's my, you know, cookie with CBD and CBDs and everything and just makes it better. I don't necessarily believe that. I also think you need a pretty significant amount of CBD per serving to, you know, really get its impact sometimes. Um, at least I do for sure. So I think that's, um, it will be, I believe, an important ingredient. And, and as I mentioned to you in, in our latest investment um, in proper, um, you know, we have we didn't even launch with a CBD skew. It's it's coming and it's in the roadmap, and we think it can be very effective from a sleep perspective, often in combination with with other clinically proven um, ingredients as well. So we're bullish on it. I think CBD is here to stay. I don't think it's something that is a is a fad, but I do think you know just throwing it in everything is is not the right way to go. And and I do think it loses some of its efficacy if it's in a, a bunch of random uh, products. Totally. How should we think about sort of the cultural conversation? You know, right now, cannabis is still considered like vice tech, which sort of has, a, I guess, a connotation. Are, are you seeing that the conversation around psychedelics is is also influencing uh, how, how people think about cannabis? Or how do you sort of think about how cannabis is seen in culture and how that might change the sort of business of investing or building cannabis co- companies? Yeah, I think it's it's improving every day, you know, and, and I can just tell you that from my own experience of speaking to investors all the time, right? You know? Earlier in our, you know, maturation, there was a whole host of folks who, who wouldn't even pick up the phone and it was a non-starter. Now, you know, there is real interest from your more traditional institutions um, to learn. Are they ready to commit and deploy dollars into the space? Maybe a little early for that, but now they, they need to know and understand it because it's becoming more and more important. 
So, you know, I'm talking about the largest mutual funds, universities, endowments, pensions, et cetera, you name it. That has all been sort of inbound led. Um, and, and there's a real interest in, in understanding more about our space. So I think it continues to get better. And honestly, if there wasn't that early stigma or even some lingering, there wouldn't be opportunities for people like me, right? Like, you know, the, the whole reason we can be in here and, and be, you know, trailblazers to some degree is because other people didn't want to. So I'm thankful for it. And, and I'm glad we've been, you know, hopefully been part of affecting some of that change and, and, and getting to people to, to look at cannabis as a, as a very legitimate real industry where they should be spending time and, and deploying dollars. Where did that early stigma come from, you think? Like, what, what, what's the source of, of that stigma? Oh, God, it has been imprinted in our brain for 100 years. Um, you know, it, it kind of dates back to this, you know, propaganda from, from the U.S. government for something called reefer madness. You can go on YouTube and look it up. It is the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen in people, you know, smoking and then running around and trying to kill people. I mean, it was just literally pure propaganda. Then, uh, you know, as we had this this kind of war on drugs, it was a very tactical way. And this is like recorded, you know, from like, you know, the recordings from Watergate with, with Nixon, you know, talking about, you know, how um, targeting, you know, m- making cannabis even more restrictive would allow them to go after sort of opponents of the administration, right, which largely was minorities, people of color, um, you know, hippies, whatever. And then, even in the media, there's been this huge stigma of what it means to be a cannabis consumer, right? And, you know, I love a lot of these artists and folks who are big consumers from, you know, the dead to Marley to Snoop even, right? Who's one of my partners, but they also just represent one side of the coin, right? One type of consumer. But for so long, that's the only vision we had of what that meant. The reality is obviously very, very different. And, you know, Cannabis consumers literally come in every shape, size, creed, color, et cetera. And so I think, you know, a hundred years of that kind of, you know, uh, treatment um, makes, is, is difficult to overcome. But I think we've made tremendous strides um, even in the last decade. Um, and people really start, you know, looking at cannabis as what it is, which is, you know, a medicine, a recreational alternative, a health and wellness product. I mean, you know, with, with hemp, you know, even a, you know, sustainable, uh, you know, resource that can be used for, you know, building and clothing. I mean, it is an incredible, incredible plant. Um, and I think it's, there's going to be very few people in the world who don't have some exposure to cannabis in some format in their, in their daily lives. And so I think, you know, we're, we're not far away from that. And that curve is, is very exponential and, I think you'll you'll see more and more of it to come. Totally, that's exciting. What do we think are, or what are some of the big debates, internal debates within the space? You know, right right now, in terms of you know, some camps believing X and other camps believing Y. Like, what are the sort of when you when you talk to <laughs> other people in the industry? Like, what are the big sort of questions or disagreements on? Yeah. So, you know, I mentioned to you that like we don't really get involved or, or focus on too much of like the hard asset side of the business cultivation, manufacturing, distribution, retail. I mean, we, it's incredibly critical. It's very important. You know, our view is that long-term it becomes a little more commodified. It takes a ton of capital to like really be leaders there. Um, So for us, it doesn't necessarily make sense. So 
I wouldn't say that's like some big cultural divide where, you know, we sit on one side of the fence and people on the other, you know, we are very close to all the largest, you know, multi-state operators and Canadian licensed producers. They're very, very critical. It's just not where we concentrate. And I think if we also included that into our investment universe, it would be stretched pretty thin because there's, there's so many of those companies too. So, um, but that's one of the places where, you know, people have different areas that they want to invest in. And, and what's so interesting about cannabis is that it kind of has something for everyone, even from an investor standpoint, right? You know, I mentioned to you Bespoke Financial, right? And, and the way they, they operate is they, act, they have a, a debt vehicle in which um, folks can invest in and it pr- provides a very attractive yield um, to investors in that vehicle. Um, you know, that's very much more of a, you know, yield junkie family office kind of a, of a, of a product and, and people love it and, and there's lots of interest in it. And then, you know, similarly, you have things more on the sort of venture side. There's a lot of people who are doing sale leasebacks on the real estate front. Um, and there are, you know, REITs specifically for cannabis. So there is, you know, no shortage of financial products of, of how people can invest in cannabis. And I think different groups have different areas of focus and where they want to put their attention. So, you know, again, I wouldn't know if that completely answers your question about like some great divide, but that's certainly, you know, some, some difference in opinion and, and where people want to sort of spend their time. And, and was that always the philosophy of your, of your firm or did that evolve uh, over time? And if, if so, what, what, what inspired it? I'd say it was, I wouldn't say it was always the philosophy, but as we built the firm and really set out for our first major fundraise, we had, we had settled there. You know, so when I was doing my early research on the space, I looked at everything. I looked at the public companies, looked at growers, talked to manufacturers, talked to brands. And I think the things that influenced us most, and, and it's two parts, right? Is one, when we thought about this idea of scalability, you know, we just saw that to be the most prevalent in the ancillary spaces. So we just thought these were much more scalable businesses. So that's that's the one reason to attract us there. And then, you know, absolutely, you know, when we spoke to a lot of investors, it was a lot more palatable, you know, in the folks that we were speaking to, you know, they felt some degree of, um, of protection of, you know, dealing with businesses that weren't had to be licensed by the government weren't, you know, again, quote unquote, touching the plant. So I think for, for us, we landed there through a process and discovery and whatnot. And now, you know, like I said, we've expanded that universe more and we're, and we're more comfortable with, with things that are closer to the plant, like, like consumer brands and things like that. But, yeah, it's been a process and I think it'll continue to be a process and continue to be iterative um, as we get deeper and deeper into the industry. And I think there'll be times when that'll be opportunistic, you know, here's this moment when there's a lot of distress or there's, you know, interesting late stage opportunities or there's, you know, something more on the debt side. And, you know, as experts in this one particular industry, you know, I hope we can be be flexible and have, have future vehicles that can uh, that can target different, different parts of the ecosystem. Totally. How should we think about global and, and, and geographical uh, sort of differences with, with the cannabis. And how do you think about that as a firm? Yeah, no, great question. And it's, and it's very, very interesting of, of how the global story is playing out. So with North America as a focus, Canada fully legal, U.S. completely fragmented, right? Then you go to South America and it's disparate. Different countries are, are, are looking to be potential really interesting um, providers of input or biomass, right? Like think about how much cheaper you can produce cannabis in, 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 in parts of South America. So that's really interesting in Europe. So far, there's been a very heavy focus on, on medical. So, you know, Germany is, is the largest kind of importer of cannabis from a medical perspective. It's distributed through their pharmacy networks and everyone is taking a little bit of a different crack at it. And I think really what they're doing is 
focusing a lot of their attention on, you know, North America and the U.S. in particular and, and how, you know, various stages of, of legalization have worked and what makes sense. So, you know, we're kind of like a testing ground for the rest of the world as they think about what it's going to look like for, for their um, uh, economies. And, you know, I use the word economy very specifically, you know, because that's at the end of the day what drives a lot of the decisions around legalization. You know, think about where we're sitting today, you know, with, with, with COVID, you know, tax coffers for governments have been hit massively. And how do you start making up for some of that, some of that loss, you know? And I think that's where sort of cannabis comes in also as a really exciting, you know, revenue stream for these governments and job creation and, 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 the, and you know, again, there's a, there's a, there's a massive, massive social justice element to it as well. Thinking about all the, you know, largely minorities who've been, who've been locked up for, you know, tiny possession charges and, and, and are serving, you know, years, sometimes decades for, for something that, that now in many parts of the world is fully legal. So, but, but again, I think, you know, eventually, it will be at the same scale that we're looking at in, in Canada. It'll come in waves. And I think, you know, more conservative parts of the world, like, like Asia will be later late to the game. But once, you know, we've seen that progression in the U S and in Europe, um, just like any other industry, whether you see, you know, telecom or mobile or anything else, you know, the rest of the world will catch up. Totally. And, and go, just going back to the enterprise side of things, is, is it, or even the FinTech side of things, is it as simple as like, you know, take sort of SaaS for, for other verticals or, or, or fintech and, and see what's worked there and then just sort of cross-apply it to the cannabis industry because everything that works in other businesses will, will likely work here. How do you sort of think about the similarities between cannabis and other verticals and corresponding? I mean, I think you start there. Yeah. You know, it's always a good place to start. Uh, and then you have to adjust for all the nuances and complexity of cannabis, right? Yeah. And think about it from, from any perspective, right? Like, you and I sat here today and we came up with a great sort of skincare brand. You know, there are kind of co-packers who can, who can develop it for us. There's people we can talk to for formulation. There's national, international distributors. We can do a bunch of things on e-commerce. Makes sense. Now you come in and you say, hey, you know, let's do that same thing, but it should have THC because it can also relax you at the same time. It can be really interesting. Now you just added so many layers of complexity to your business, right? Like we can't do it as easy as we could maybe in, in the non-THC iteration, right? Because it's state by state, different manufacturers in each place. Um, you know, a bunch of people will, will refuse to work with us. How are we going to bank the business? Um, you know, how many distributors we'll use? What kind of redundancies are we going to build in? It gets complex. So that's just one example. And that kind of sits on top of everything else, right? The same issues you would have with any other technology or whatever, Cannabis is nuanced and complex. But I think what we've been seeing outside of cannabis is that most industries are complex and nuanced. Cannabis is just kind of like 10x that because of the, the regulatory challenges. So I think all of that is, uh, is super, um, super intriguing for us because it just means more complex, interesting issues to solve. Um, and I think that's why we'll see a lot of really interesting companies come out of here. And then eventually, you know, really complex technologies that we've built can be applied from cannabis to other industries because they haven't had to think about it in that way. And we have, so I think it's going to come kind of full circle in that way, but what you're talking about is always a good place to start. I mean, that's how most things kind of start. Totally. Speaking of other complex industries, pharma is a good example. And, and, and Viva is a, that was like, you know, uh, uh, Salesforce for the pharma industry. And I think 
uh, was a multi-billion dollar a- a- acquisition. We, we made a bet on a company called Distro uh, mm-hmm. that it maybe be, you know, uh, hopefully, some, know yes, hopefully something similar. But um, yeah, these just vertical SaaS plays are, are, are big opportunities because these industries are just so, so complex and nuanced and, and custom. No, absolutely, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, entrepreneurs in the cannabis industry need, need to get a lot more credit for what they do. And like, you know, I think some people think they're going after, you know, a, you know, a shallower pool where they can come in and dominate. And it's just not that easy. And, you know, if you're, you've invested into the space, I think you, I'm sure you've experienced that already. Um, totally. Those kind of complexities that come with, uh, with the space. Totally. I think that's a, that's a great place to uh, wrap. Uh, current, this has been a fantastic episode for people who want to learn more uh, and learn more about Casa Verde and, 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 and potentially get in touch with it uh, with you guys. Where, where could you point them? Yeah. You know, casaverdecapital.com uh, can learn more about us and there's a space there to, to get in touch. Um, and then, you know, we're on socials on, on LinkedIn and Instagram. It's Casa Verde Cap. Um, and yeah, just, you know, we're, we're, we're very responsive. We look at everything. So anyone who gets in touch will, will, will likely hear back from us quite quickly. Yeah. Great. It's been a great episode. Awesome, Eric. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Check us out at villageglobal.vc.com.